Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, hosted today by a full complement plus one, including Ed P, Ed M, Mike P, and myself, Steve, and we have Daniel back all the way from the UK and Lasers back with us from somewhere in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. So welcome everybody. Hello, top gentlemen. Hello, uh, in deference to big stories and in deference to having uh, Daniel back with us, I guess we have to talk something about the uh, 85th indictment of Trump, if I'm if my number is correct. Uh, well, I must admit, about, there will be more somehow. There will be more. There will be more. It will just keep rolling on, won't it? I, we'll get him for jaywalking soon too so yeah I, I think there's one that they're they're putting together for the sinking of the titanic um there's another one for the the death of archduke franz ferdinand um and starting world war one you know it's just utterly ridiculous now isn't it i have a question for you daniel besides your personal political opinion which i value you're over there does the press there talk about this and if so in what kind of tone um in the, probably the standard tone that they talked about uh things like the um the impeachments and the russian collusion crap um they uh they basically take the same tone as you know cnn or msnbc um there, there's less coverage now i know i checked on it just yesterday uh and i found a section of the cnn website that had 22 anti-trump articles at the same time and uh then i looked on the bbc and they only had sort of three or four so it's it's not uh on the front burner so much um but it's it's still covered and it's still covered in the usual uh kind of completely biased mainstream media fashion but you're not you're not getting that we're becoming a banana republic from their viewpoint oh god no you won't get that from mainstream media in the uk at all um you know the, the the there is no mainstream coverage that says this is actually pretty outrageous and it's yeah. it's politically motivated closing down of a uh of a rival candidate yeah um none of that is put across in the british mainstream media okay so it's their oh. hatred of trump out does their i i, I think on this particular indictment i think the press is even worse than usual i mean i was reading through political politico's daily email and this this one's not even about some just crime <laughs> or you know trump groping somebody this is about democracy itself this is the most serious one yet this is about j6 this yeah. is about trump saying things that he shouldn't have said yeah that's the that's right. the essence of the indictment and right. it's so ludicrous on its face I mean, it's so mm -hmm. absurd on its face. I, I mean, I, I know that you can indict a ham sandwich, but I mean, come on, this is ridiculous. This is him doing, uh, uh, you know, his First Amendment right to petition for aggressive grievances. Uh, well, by, by this indictment, any questioning of any electoral result could be prosecuted yeah. on the same basis. Not the 2016 um, election. So What's that, Ed? Not the 2016 election. The same people who are 
a charging Trump and accusing Trump questioned Trump's victory in 2016 in almost the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but on the flip side, I mean, look, go back all the way to when Bush won. We've yep. been doing this forever. Losers always find an excuse. Watch a boxing match. Whoever lost finds an excuse. This is never yeah. going to If, if we can it. put both Al Gore and Trump in the prison at the same time, and Stacey Abrams, and, and Stacey right. Abrams, I think it's a win for the country. I think we just put them in the Thunderdome and yeah, let somebody walk out. I'm I have a walking. question. Somebody wrote, I have, I didn't look if it's true, that among the current charges, there is one that could incur the death penalty. I don't know about I, all that. I didn't see it. Okay. I mean, I did not read the indictment, but apparently they've charged him with some heavy duty stuff. And considering there are pundits who have publicly said, we want to see him die, it's maybe not all that shocking. Now, obviously, they won't do that yet, but it's Right. I mean, like, if they went out. down that road, I think the play would be, and I don't know if, if it's there or not. I haven't read the full indictment either. And again, who knows what charges are going to come next. But I wouldn't be shocked if they did that so that they would have something to point to and say, look at the severity of this. This is something punishable by the death penalty. And, you know, we'll drop that. But we both know that any kind of sentencing always takes into account that full picture that they love using. So even though they'll wash 48 charges, they end up punishing you for all 48 of them anyway. So I think it's it's a bit of a straw man and it's, it's a red herring. It's somewhere to point to and just say, look at the severity of this horrible thing, even though everybody knows they didn't do it. Again, I haven't read the indictment, but I wouldn't be surprised if something like that comes down just so that they have something to, to make a pretty picture out of. The, the thing that um, shocks me with it, it's not so much that they do this because anyone who's been paying attention should know that they'll do anything um and all they care about is uh, keeping power and, and seizing power um what shocks me is the complacency of the responses and, and the lack of response generally and and there doesn't seem to be um that much awareness that if they do this to trump they can do this to anyone the the basis that they're doing it on is so ridiculous and so minute that uh, literally anybody can be got for anything. Um, There'd be much more urgency in response to that than there Daniel, is. The complacency on whose part are you referring to? Who, who do you want to say what? Um, well, I'd say other Republicans for a start. Um, I know Vivek made a, a comment in support uh, that was a good comment, but it's still like that the, there's this perception that this is just Trump trouble and and somehow this isn't stuff that can cut that can be transferred to someone else and pence was worse because pence is literally throwing trump under the bus now yeah and, and that i think is politically incredibly stupid yeah. are any other people are any leaders too. saying anything any supposed leaders of the uh, uh, i mean vivek filed to jonathan turley who isn't really a uh, a conservative. Uh, he's a legal commentator. He eviscerated uh, Smith and this indictment on television. The clip was on uh, Twitter. Um, I can't find it right now because because I'm incompetent. But um, but yeah, he he was very very uh, right. savaging about this indictment. Um, Has McConnell well, said anything? Be. No. As a matter of fact, I was on Twitter and somebody posted up. Here's McConnell's statement. In response, and it was like a white box. 
So, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think that this indictment is is pretty outrageous, but I think the the calls for Republicans to just rush headlong into defending Trump, I think there's a nuance that's being missed, and I've brought it up on the show before. I, it was perfectly legitimate for Trump to say lock her up. He should have locked her up. He should have gone after Hillary, even though Hillary was was his opponent in the prior election. We are just this week dealing with revelations that not just Hunter Biden, but Joe Biden probably has committed some serious crimes against this country. Bribery. And, and I think listed it's, right there in the Constitution. It's really it's really uh, it warrants some circumspection on the part of the Republican Party on how they respond. I, I agree, Daniel, that um, I think that silence is just unacceptable. But um, I, I just I, I don't like the defense that you can't go after your pol political opponents because the Democrats are using that implicitly to to feel light, to feel free to do whatever they want. And they think, I think that they think they're inoculating themselves against any future prosecutions against them. They're going to use everything that Daniel, you're saying right now, when Democrats get charged in a Republican administration for the crimes that they are committing right in front of everybody's faces. And you don't really believe that a Republican would ever charge a Democrat, do you? If a Republican wins, yes, because there are only three Republicans that I think have any chance at all of winning, and all three of them have made clear, well, two of the three of them, I think Trump will go after them just out of sheer revenge if he has to. I think Vivek will go after at least some of them, and I think DeSantis is going to go after some of them. DeSantis, at a minimum, is going to go after all the, the COVID criminals. Um, and I think he's going to go after the Biden family as well. Um, so, yeah, I think and those are the only three people that I think have a chance to get the Republican nomination. So, uh, yes, if a Republican wins, yes, I think that there will be charges brought. Okay, so you're, you're assuming or asserting that we're past the uh, Hillary business that now we really would do something serious. Well, I, I, I haven't looked at what the statute of limitations is on the Hillary stuff, but the Hillary stuff happened. I mean, as of now, it's been more than seven years. No, but I'm saying though there we let her go over Benghazi and the other stuff. You think we've grown a pair since then? Well, it's not Benghazi. To me, the, the serious crime was the, server. the private server, server and the destruction of the emails that were under subpoena. But you're saying that we've we've moved but we've gone past that. Um I don't think the Republican Party has gone past that, but I think that the people that are going to that have a chance to win are past that. I mean, if you put Thank Mitch McConnell or Mike Pence in charge of the Department of Justice, no, nothing would happen. I think you'd have the same situation you have right now. But I, I think that any of the three wow. that have any chance of winning on the Republican side are going to put different people in place and they're going to take action. That's okay, with just the caveat that the Congress would stop them, even if it would be all Republican. Well, let's remember what happened to Trump when, for instance, he fired Comey or he he you know fired some of the other people who were being um, you know not MAGA enough. 
uh, McConnell came to him and said that we aren't going to confirm any appointment that is not a swamp creature. And so, uh, and then what happened when the DNI quit, um, Trump had gotten Rick Grinnell uh, confirmed by the Senate for some minor position, I think it was Ambassador Germany or something, and put him in a, as DNI uh, temporarily um, because McConnell wouldn't even hold a vote on, uh, or was it McConnell was the Democrat? Doesn't really matter at that point uh, for his his appointment for DNI and Rick Grinnell you know, is, you know really based kind of guy and he started doing stuff that they immediately got off their their asses and confirmed trump's uh, appointee to get grinnell out of there but they you know that's the one thing when you look at the at the appointment process the advice part it from the senate is don't appoint anyone who we don't like and the consent part is we're not going to consent on anyone we don't like uh and you know being part of the swamp, being part of the unit party, being part of the war party, being part of the, you know, uh, institutional, you know, global warming party, the, you know, all of the current uh, obsessions and, and cults, the COVID cult, everything. It, I, I don't think they would allow them to do that. And I, I, I just think know, that the big three Republicans that have a chance are all be, I think all three of them are past that. I think that they'll 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 fight. They might lose, uh, I, but I think they'll fight. I, I do. I think I think they'll fight. Um, I think McConnell's mini stroke or whatever. What was laser your uh, designation for what he had uh, last uh, week? TIA in the yeah. face of it being an absent seat or be a TIA. Yeah. So um, he's out. He's not going to be the majority leader now. Of course, who who's left? Right, John Cornyn. He's he's almost worse. Right. John Cornyn, you know, is almost worse than uh, John so all, is number three and he's young and just as bad. Yeah. yeah. So it's hard. It's all about money, right? It's all about who could, who has the connections to the to the big donors who can raise money for congressional elections. And somebody like you know Ted Cruz, who I don't know what where he's been for the last three years, but um, it's he, require uh, a Republican president to stand up and interfere in congressional yeah, um, elections and say, no, this guy should not be leading the Republicans in the Senate. Right. And and we so all know right. that Trump has terrible, uh, you know, instincts when it comes to uh, backing people in the senatorial or congressional races. I mean, just, you know, Dr. Oz, I mean, come on. It's just terrible instincts. So it, it, you know, I think that if I think DeSantis might be better. I know Vivek would be better. I don't think Vivek's going to get the nomination, although, um, you know, he has a lot going for him. So I don't know. Well, as long as they don't pick another Jeff Sessions to be the AG. <laughs> yeah. That's the other issue. And then, more, you know, more about the Hunter Biden thing. You know, one of my pet themes is that as long as we have the press, we have nothing will ever change. As far as the Dems and the press are concerned, there is no smoking gun. There is zero evidence. This is an absolute nothing burger. They spoke about the weather. Deal with it. 
And it's the it's, illusion of influence. Yeah, it's a great one. That's a, <laughs> the yeah. illusion of influence, not real influence. But you know what? It's not it, the the Democrats and the media don't have the power that you're giving them. The, what gives them the power is that the Republican Party won't fight them. Uh, McCarthy could just shut the house down. Period. He could just say, "Okay, you guys want to play this way? Nothing is going to get done." And he could, and and, and not just you know stomp his feet. Lay out his evidence, and that's all he talks about. Hold a press conference every day. If they don't want to cover it, they don't cover it, and and, and that's fine. I mean, they they need to fight. I mean, that's that is that is their constitutional obligation to be to to stand up and and fight for their positions and their power, and to to watch the Democrats and the media destroy this country and not do anything and everything in their power to stop it. To me, that's almost as criminal as what the Democrats are doing. I mean, even even verbally responding to their obscene bias, it, there were a lot of pearl-clutching Republicans who hated that about Trump, wasn't there? And there still are, um, you know, because he would directly verbally respond to the bias of the media. Um, so you're not going to get significant action until... Um, those pearl clutches are kicked into line. Okay, so Ed, Ed M, if you have the ability to get McCarthy on the phone while you're eating dinner with your business partners tonight and you're past the weather, what would you tell him to do? I'd tell him to fire the prosecutor. Just kidding. <laughs> what would I tell him to do? <laughs> uh, I would tell them to to stop funding things and to, if necessary, shut the government down if they have to. I mean, I know the government is is currently operating on a on a budget that goes through 2025, but I mean, there are lots of things that they that they need the government to do. Whether it's confirming people, I guess that's not a House function; that's a Senate function. But I mean, first of all, all business now, right to Labor Day. Uh, they have an August recess. I don't know when it goes when when it starts. I mean, today's Labor Day. It starts. No, no, yeah, it goes through Labor Day. It starts around now, sometime. Around now, yeah. in August. I mean, just make more noise. And supposedly, a bunch of government lawyers are going to be working through the recess. You know, in the Hunter Biden issue. I, I mean, the Republican Party just isn't serious about things. They, they need to organize themselves together and, and take action. I mean, one of the stories in your show notes, which is not related to this, was that the governor of Oklahoma sent 50 National Guard people to Governor Abbott in Texas to help to protect the border. Well, golly gee, 50 people. I mean, is that going to what is that going to defend? Maybe like a quarter of a mile? I mean, yeah. you want to know what I'd say to McCarthy? I would say to all the Republicans. You need to get on the same page and you need to start doing things to fight in the same way that the Democrats are flooding the country with the illegals, flooding the country with unconstitutional actions, flooding the country with mandates, you know, COVID mandates and other things and and take action against them. Don't just stand there on the sidelines helplessly wondering, when are we ever going to win another election? You've got to do something. 
surely there must be. Uh, I mean, why can't uh, I, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not even an American, so uh, this might be a very naive question. But why can't Republican DAs and Republican prosecutors start indicting Democrats? Is uh, that too stupid? Uh, a question? Yeah, no, it's not stupid at all. Not stupid at all. We've championed I mean, that. As, as a lawyer, I have to be careful about recommending that somebody just use the the prosecutorial function as a political weapon. But if there are crimes that have been committed, yes, Republican prosecutors and DAs should bring those cases. I mean, that's and that's what I was saying. I tried to say a few minutes ago. But there's none of them doing it, is there? There's, there's, uh, there's no. So the Democrats are forced to pay a price for what they're doing. They will continue doing it. There's no fighting, price that they pay. Called fighting fire with fire. And it's not the eye for an needed. eye, but I mean, you have to do something. Whether it's bringing prosecutions, shutting the house down, shutting, you know, having the Senate filibuster everything. I mean, you have to do something. There has to be a price for the that the, the Democrats the, have the to the pay. Things, I mean, what they're hiding behind. Um, you know, the, the um, Soros-funded DAs and, and all the kind of uh, agents of lawfare is they're hiding behind prosecutorial immunity, aren't they? Um, but discretion. they're also hiding behind... Discretion. The, 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 no, he, he, he means that the prosecutors who are engaging in this political lawfare against Republicans cannot ever be held to account by, you know, being sued or being sued personally or... Or you know all of their malfeasance it is is basically immune from any prosecution and immune even I mean you can make a complaint to the bar but I mean that that they don't do anything they never they control the bars yeah so but, I mean they, who, they basically can go completely out of control I mean, and have and no recourse who other than Trump have they really gone after though at this point. Well, well they went after okay. Dinesh, Dinesh okay. D'Souza. They went after they Dinesh. Went. Yeah. Okay. But this goes back to Daniel's point before, which is like, you know, why, why don't Republicans see what this really is going to lead to? Because a lot of them, they don't like Trump either. And they don't, they probably don't really care that he's getting indicted. Right. Because him. first they came. And they wouldn't mind Trump. seeing him handcuffed and thrown in the J6 prison. First they came for Trump and I wasn't a Trump. And then they came for Manafort and I wasn't a Manafort. Yeah. And why people think the alligator is going to eat them last is something I'll never understand. Ed, am I correct that most of the things that Hunter is in trouble for and even Biden, those are mostly federal crimes that a state prosecutor can't do anything about? The Farah stuff, the tax stuff, these are all federal things, aren't they? Those are all yeah. federal things, but I mean, mo I think 40 something states have a state income tax. I mean, I don't know where Hunter was was residing at the time. But if there are if there are income tax issues, there's a state, you know, state subject to state prosecution over that. I do think that the, the Dems stay and live in Dem states, but there are plenty of Republicans who also live there because that's sort of I do. You know, I live in Virginia, which is, uh, you know, half and half nowadays, but mostly Democratic. It it would be difficult, like, for you know, for like a Republican business mogul to move his business to Wyoming or Tennessee or something like that. It's not impossible, but it's right. it's very difficult. So clearly, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, California are not going to go after Hunter Biden. 
you have to find a crime he did in a real state. Yeah. Which may be tricky. Um, and I assume interstate uh, traffic I, I don't think that, for purposes is also federal. I don't think that every prosecutor is a Democrat. In every Democrat state? I don't think so. I mean, I mean, the New York City DA's office, yeah, they're probably staffed with all all Democrats. But I mean, especially at the state level rather than at a city level, I, I I bet you that there are some some Republicans there. I mean, maybe they have to keep quiet. Maybe they have to stay under the radar. But you know, they're in a position where they could do something. The question is, will they do it? And the answer is probably no. Right, because they're looking at their career prospects later on. And unfortunately, you don't get the sense that if you go after the Dems, you're going to become a hero. Whereas if you're a Dem and you go after the Republicans, you do get that sense. Where's the Republican Woodward and Bernstein? Yeah, I think the Republican media um, has collapsed. Uh, and not that there was much Republican media, but to the extent that, um, you know, John Stossel used to do some, uh, you know, uh, investigative reporting. Um, some, I, you know, Fox, they used to do this. I mean, it's utterly and totally collapsed. Well, you have um, small outfits. You have like National Pulse, that girl, what's her name? Um, the young girl just blocked her name, Natalie something or another. I mean, there are some investigative journalists out there, you know, on a smaller yeah. level. But there, I don't think there's a sense that I'm going to go to journalism school and make myself a hero by taking down a Democratic president. Well, I don't even know why you need to go to journalism school. You're not going to win a that way, are you? No, that, the only reason you go to journalism school is to get indoctrinated into the cult. Anyway, yeah. I mean, there's occasional, uh, you know, um, exceptions to that. Uh, but that's, you know, again, if you, you know, go to... Okay. Look at it this way. James O'Keefe would have won every award in the world and some that don't even yet exist had he been on the other side. But being on this side, he ends up being arrested, you know, and hassled. So if there were a sense that I could become Woodward and Bernstein on this side of the aisle, maybe more people would try it. I mean, Matt he would have his own would have, if he was going after uh, Republicans, would have been winning awards. Right. I mean, you know. O'Keefe got kicked out of his own organization. <laughs> so it's it's never safe to go after the other side. All right. Uh, uh, what's his name? Kurt Schlichter, my, my man. He, he's like, we, we, the people on the right, are, are trying to find people of ideological purity. Um, when what we really ought to do is find people who will just do what we want to want done in any way. Um, and that means that the Gorsuch is obviously a brilliant lawyer, but like when it came to extending the Civil Rights Act to transgender individuals, which is ridiculous, he ruled wrong. We, we want people who, to rule right, not people who are going to find nuance in the law. Um, and the same thing with the um, with the appointees. We, we want to appoint people who are just going to do the right thing. And uh, maybe, you know, we can learn a little bit from 
uh, from Trump in this. But, but again, uh, you know, everybody's cowed on this side and for good reason. Yeah. So, all right. Since you guys are not arguing enough, I'm going to talk about the weather. <laughs> um, so here are my stories. The light bulb ban is going into effect, which I guess, are they going to put like little stickers on light bulbs that federal law prohibits removing this tag from your light bulb? <laughs> that would be cute. Um, by the way, not, if it's not happening now, it's probably down the pike. I have to confess that the founder and president of Liberty Blocks Baby committed his first federal crime several weeks ago in my office, in my presence. He was crawling under a chair and he tore off that tag. Uh, I so far have not handed him into the authorities, but I've never seen anyone brazenly take off that tag. They're cracking down on air conditioner refrigerants. Now, some of us are old enough to remember a word called Freon, which I believe was the first refrigerant that they banned and made everything cost more money and be more trouble. New York City, as of yesterday, it is now illegal to send a plastic fork and knife unless someone specifically requests it when you send home a meal with like DoorDash or something. And here's one of the best ones. Well, actually, so many good ones. LA Airport is banning water bottles. Even the $12 water bottles that you get after you go through security, you're not going to be allowed to buy a water bottle. I don't even understand what they're doing if people are thirsty. Oh, that's still that's the case at San Francisco. I was at SFO um, a while ago, and you you there you cannot buy this of any type. Um, there are some really weird glass bottle uh, things, uh, including Coke. You can get Coke in glass bottles at SFO, but you you can't get anything like anything in plastic bottle or can. You were just there. Is that what you found also in Frisco? We didn't try. No, I don't know because I have no. We had there were bottles in San Francisco when I went. I just go straight to the lounges and the restaurants and don't pay attention to anything because it's all free. Because because uh, beer doesn't come in plastic bottles. Is that what we're hearing? It comes in plastic cups if you're cheap enough. Um, but there were then, bottles. There were bottles all over the airport in Frisco at least. That's now. interesting. Uh, no, I I disagree. I don't think you were looking. There there were there were glass bottles of bizarre stuff. But they're like I couldn't get a sprite. Maybe. I couldn't I saw get a bottle of do. But yeah, I was definitely not investigating fridges because I don't care because beer comes on tap. <laughs> but I mean, so literally, you can't get a drink of water in an airport. Is that what's going well, on? There's a water a fountain. Yes. Yeah. A lot of airports have these fountains. They've been pushing this for many, many years. They want you to refill your bottle, the bottle that they make you empty right before you go through security. On the back end of security, a lot of airports now have fountains that have like a a relatively tall. I sit a bottle in it. Some of them are even weighted, so when you put the bottle down, that's what initiates the water, and then you just lift it off. Of course, they all have counters on top saying how many water bottles you've saved this week or whatever. But that's been a thing in airports now for the last few years. Hey guys, for us for us really old folks, which just includes me probably, how far are we from going back to the real good old days when you just had a hose and you just drank straight from the hose? Well, no, because it's got Parabens or something that they'll cry about. No, it'll be stainless steel hoses. Yeah, that you know, gas, uh, natural gas limitations on stoves and whatnot, limitations on um, you know, free unlike substances. There's all that. But I heard today from my second favorite uh, um, 
person in the United Kingdom, uh, Jeff Taylor, has a great uh, YouTube channel that the the government of Wales is set to set the speed limit throughout all of Wales, the default speed limit at 20 miles an hour. Um, so that uh, and, and if you've ever been to Wales, like there's Cardiff and it's a kind of a city and then there's nothing, there's nothing the entire and it's completely empty uh, with little towns. And like the idea that uh, you would drive through Wales at 20 miles an hour is ridiculous. And they're and they're going to have firefighters as well as police enforce this. And and if you're going between like 20 and 35, you're going to get a lecture. And if you're going over 35, you're going to get a ticket anyway. This is what Jeff Taylor said. And it's all to, you know, go net zero. And I think what they really mean is net zero miles an hour. They don't want anybody driving anywhere. Well, you and, know, New York, New York did propose 20 miles an hour going down from 25. It does not seem to have passed, but that was up in the, I think the legislature gave the city council permission to do it or something. And I mean, they, New York City. They will in New York City go down to 20. Now, I know you guys are going to say in Manhattan that would be faster than you get to go normally. But yeah. in other boroughs, there are places where you can actually drive a car. So, um, yeah, Laser, can you still pronounce that city? I can indeed. I spent a lot of time learning that. Can Daniel check you for accuracy? Uh, he can. <laughs> What's uh, that? What city? Kind uh, of our PG. Did they, did they make you memorize that too? Landfair, yeah, or Yanfair, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I, I never went there, but I, I drove like two miles away as we were driving down. We need a wide-angle lens to take a picture of the sign, right? I did get a picture of the sign. You have to get a picture of the sign. Men. <laughs> All right. So that's, you know, the cracking down on us, on all of these things. You know, my question is. They'll, they'll eventually get round to, um, they'll get, eventually get round to private jets, surely. To what? Private jets. Not yeah. no, 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 no. No. We need them to fly to Davos to talk about all this. Exactly. Think, yeah. At what point do the Americans say we're not listening to bureaucrats rules? Like I, the president comes out and says, I'm banning this. And the EPA says, we're banning that. And we're, isn't it up to us to say, just no, pass a law or just no. And that's exactly what they were going to, what they're going to do. I was going to say that this is a very weird hill for them to die on because a LED bulbs are infinitely superior. I swapped the headlights of my truck out for LED bulbs recently. They're better in every single way. They do last for an eternity. They're brighter. They're just better. On the flip side of that, these bulbs that are being banned are just not any significant thing per any environmentalist at all. I, China in a day is worth all the light bulbs on Earth for God knows how many years. It's a very uh, dumb bill to die on. I, I did get a, a letter the other uh, in Aviation Week a year or two ago um, because Aviation Week is, you know, premier aerospace publication and and they they're always talking about you know cutting uh fuel use on airplanes and you know going to electric and going to quote sustainable aviation fuel and my letter basically said um well in 2020 uh use of air travel dropped more than 60 percent and its effect on co2 is exactly zero which you can find uh and so all of this talk about, you know, 
reducing um, CO2 emissions from airplanes uh, will make absolutely no difference to the CO2 level. In, and we, we have an experiment that shows that. And they actually published it. I was shocked. They edited it a little bit. I was a little sharper in the, in the letter than they allowed in the thing. But it's, it's, uh, you right. had it's absolutely true. Publication? Me? No yes, I know. Um, but it's, it's my one publication of the last couple of years. But it's true. I mean, we don't, it, the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere is being driven by India and China almost entirely if we shut down the entire Western civilization and go back to, uh, well, uh, you know, death is what they want. But well, the, it, well, the, it will um, make no, no difference. Well, yeah, especially like UK. emits in a year is uh, is covered in twelve days by China's emissions, mm -hmm. and it's um, not just that. Is the China's no. emissions are are are, you know, first of all, CO two is not a pollutant. This whole global warming thing is a complete hoax. But let's ignore that for a moment. But and let's just focus on the the idea. It, it's uh, the increase in CO two emissions from China and India are so much that. Um, Again, even if we shut down, it would make absolutely no difference. In, and and could the COVID lockdowns would shut down, again, 60% of air travel, maybe 50% oh. of the economy, did nothing. They, they need all that energy to mine for the rare earth minerals that they need for the windmills and stuff. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't, don't, don't we encourage coal mines in China and other countries anyway? Uh, well, American policy is to export pollution generation to other countries. Um, and I think, you know, the other countries don't care. So it's like, why don't we have any uh, rare earth minerals? They're all in China. Well, I, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem to me that the Earth's crust is going to be completely different in China than the United States. We're just not allowed to look in the United States or Canada. Right. We yeah. regulate everything and to it, death, and all the manufacturing it has to be done in places like China. Pretty simple. But that's that's all the same reason. Why are we buying? Why have we ever purchased a barrel of oil from anybody in the last hundred years? Makes no sense. Well, because uh, we developed it. That's why. Right. No, exactly. That's until all. Until the is. wells were were nationalized and stolen, it was American companies that. That located the wells. It was right. our good. It was our good friend Winston Churchill who changed the, uh, um, the Royal Navy from coal to oil in anticipation uh, when he was uh, first Lord of the Admiralty in the First World War, um, and that sort of started the United Kingdom kind of being dependent on the oil from the Middle East because you know the. North Sea oil hadn't been discovered by them, and the technology wasn't available. And that whole devil's bargain with this, you know, the proto Saudis, um, sort of has led us to today. And of course, after the Second World War, the United States took over that that role of uh, protecting the corrupt uh, Saudi government. Um, but the truth is, the United States has plenty of oil, and we could. Uh, there was one. Um, article I read that there was more oil in this one place underneath a national monument. Of course, it was made a national monument specifically for this reason uh, in sort of Utah, that area, uh, than has ever been burned in the history of the world. All, all put together, there's more, more oil under, under this one 
place. It's like, okay, well, I mean, obviously we're not using it because the politicians don't want us to use it. They want us to be dependent on foreign oil because it allows them the ability to meddle in other countries' affairs, which is one of their primary goals, is meddling in other people's affairs. Well, Stephen, I don't know if you alluded to this or mentioned this, but the latest one was um, the water heater mandate. Uh, so apparently the uh, Department of Energy released some other regulations, proposed new energy efficiency standards for water heaters just last month. So you would have to, by 2029, switch over to electric heat pumps for your boiler instead of gas-fired um, um, water heaters. Mike, do so, you think any Friends of Congress people will make money off of this by any chance? <laughs> oh, you, there's, there's no doubt. There, I'm still waiting to this day for there to be a really intrepid reporter to un uncover some of this. How many of them are invested in the windmills and the solar panels and you name it? Because you know they all have their hands in the cookie jar. You know, they well, it, 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 there was an article today I was reading about the whole CFC thing for the air conditioners, right? You know, um, Freon, which was used originally in air conditioners, um, was off patent. And uh, so, you know, this whole uh, approximately when they found out it's the worst substance in the world uh, at approximately the time they found out it was the worst substance in the world. And that the this ozone hole in the uh, Antarctic, which is still there, by the way, even though the Montreal Protocol of 1996 is supposed to fix things. And of course, I, I don't I, I think the the evidence that the CFCs were actually doing the uh, the ozone hole over the Antarctic yeah. is is very tenuous to begin with. Um, and who, who the hell gives a crap because the Antarctic and like eight people live there and a couple of penguins. Um, when they did that, then uh, again, 1996, they phased it out to about 2000. Well, how long do patents last? Well, they last about 20 years. Guess what? They found that when it, the, the chlorofluorocarbons that they switched to, which are now off patent, uh, oh, they're polluting too. And so we have to... Uh, we have to switch to something else and it, it's just too convenient. And I'm not, you know, generally I, I came out of a, a businessman just want to produce good stuff for people. And uh, uh, that, that view of the universe. And I've yeah. now gotten to the point where it's no businessmen want a, a rent seeking all the time. Uh, and, don't uh, the, uh, don't the Enviro nuts uh, claim that the whole, the ozone hole has been closed. They do, yeah. I, I've, I've seen. They claim, claim they claim everything works. Back yeah. when I was in school, I got a. There was a really good briefing on the ozone hole, um, and uh, I, I was, I was shocked at it because it was, it was. They, they actually showed data, which because it was, you know, it was a physics lecture, and I'm like, oh, that's it's just such a joke. Uh, apparently, you know, it's it's these layer of of polar stratosphere clouds interacting with chlorine which um you know could come from these chlorofluorocarbons maybe maybe it comes from the salt in the water uh and and that causes uh, uh a reduction ozone where those polar stratosphere clouds are which are at one altitude so when they show this giant hole they're only showing it at very, very thin altitudes. So there's like lots of ozone on the ground and then there's less. And as you go up, there's more, more, more. 
and then there's hardly any, and then there's more and more and more and more. You know, it's it's this it's the one attitude that like gets rid of the ozone. It's not like the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, well, this is just a complete hoax, then, isn't it? And uh, from then on, I haven't, you know, worried about it. But of course, they tried to do this, and I'm like, why? Why are they doing this? And then this article about the patent, uh, you know, removal of patents. It's going to refrigerants are going to go up by like five factor of five or ten in cost. And you know how bad it is when you're air conditioning leaks and you have to get more refrigerant it costs a fortune anyway and to go up to five or ten and, and they're worried we're going to die of heat but they're going to make our air conditioners so much more expensive well the weird thing is it's like you know i make fun of europeans because after all i'm an american they don't have air conditioning over there you know it's like why and like well it only gets hot for like two years two weeks a year so why do we why do we bother i'm like because they get hot two weeks a year um well, the, yeah, I just did a, um, there was just recently a, um, uh, a sort of embarrassing thing that came out, which was that um, they'd manipulated data uh, again. Um, and, and the very clever way they'd manipulated it was um, they had a, a graph of um, cold deaths as opposed to heat deaths in Europe. Yes, I saw that. And, and, uh, and if you applied the kind of the same um, scale on each side of the graph, um, then it showed very clearly that there were 10 times as many cold deaths as there were heat deaths. And you've got a tiny little bit of your graph that was heat deaths and a massive, great big bit of your graph that was cold deaths. So when they released the information, uh, they adjusted the graph so that the um, heat uh, heat death ones were longer than they should have been if if they were putting the same scale on. Um, so it made it look like it was fairly even with a slight lead on the heat deaths. And it was only when you kind of looked down to the nitty gritty and saw that the figures were actually saying that the cold deaths were 10 times more. Uh, the, you know, they physically adapted the graph to present a, a false view. Daniel, you are clearly anti-science. Yeah. No, I mean, I saw this graph and he's absolutely right. And, and there was Tony Heller, who does really good uh, analysis of, of global warming data. I, I remember last week, it was like, oh, my God, it's the hottest. It's, it's the hottest day in 100,000 years, right? <laughs> that was the thing last week. It's the hottest day in 100,000 years. Yeah. And of course, the Physics in me, like, oh, that's obviously nonsense, and I just ignored it. But the, um, you know, Tony Heller didn't ignore it. He made a video, and obviously, we have no idea what the temperature was, um, you know, past it about a couple hundred years ago, and only in a very limited area like North America and Europe. Um, so there's no way they could tell you what the temperature was in July 100,000 years ago, or 90,000, or 20,000. Um, but the weird thing is, like, it here it was about 94, and yes, it was hot and annoying. Um, but when I was a kid, the temperature got over – I was in Philly, which is north of here. The temperature got over 100 a lot, and it never gets over 100. So Tony goes through the data and shows that, in fact, 
just if you go by the, the measurements, um, North America is getting cooler from the 1930s. And so what NOAA does is they uh, basically cheat and, and they, they cool the past. They take the actual where, measurements the, and cool the past. The, do you know where the um, claim that it was the, the hottest day in 100,000 years came from? Uh, it came, it, it, do you know? Well, I mean, I read it, but I don't remember. It, it came from a um, essentially a dodgy dossier again, a PhD thesis. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, a, a girl had uh, done as her her thesis, where she took measurements of temperature in five thousand year sections. Mm -hmm. So it's stuff that they've got from the ice cores, and that you know, but they can uh, they their precision is. 5,000 year segments um, and then what people did is they then averaged these 5,000 year segments and said this was the hottest day in 100,000 years when you've got you know 99,900 uh, years or so where there's no daily measurement. The other thing is is you know again it's like this sea level thing right it, it, and, and the temperature thing um when i lived in pleasanton california the temperature during the day was 100 the temperature during the night was 40. i remember going on our last uh, fourth of july fireworks wearing winter coats right so you get this this huge 60 degree um you know, during a day and here in virginia it might only be 20 or 25 degrees but um we're we're so used to this you know large things in temperature and they say well what what is the average earth's temperature right now and it's like in celsius like 15.1 and um and like what was it 200 years ago and it's like oh it's you know 14.8 or something you know it, it's just so ridiculous and this in the sea rise I, we used to go to sea in the jersey shore you guys might be jersey shore fanatics and if you go from the neap tide low tides to the Spring tide, high tides, it's like 10 feet, right? It's like a huge 10 foot movement in the ocean um, from the lowest low tide to the highest high tide. And that's just normal. And, and in a century, it, that, that whole thing is going to go up this much. And it's like, that's going to destroy, it's, it's like, it's ridiculous. If we're able to deal with 10 foot movements of, of water on a random beach in the middle of Jersey, um, how can we not? How can we not deal with like this much over more over a hundred years? Even if that's true, you know. Even if if and it probably is for reasons unrelated to CO two. Um, the other thing about the global warming is this first century, the first millennia BC was hotter than the first millennia AD, which was hotter than the second millennia AD, averaged over a thousand years. So it, 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 the Earth is cooling. If you go by this, you know, these glacial proxies, the Earth is cooling, coming out of a fairly warm rebound out of the last ice age, which was about 12,000 years ago. Um, temperature rose rapidly. There were not very many SUVs um, back then, but the temperature rose rapidly. And it, there was a number of, of maxima in the, you know, at 5,000 BC and other 
around 100 AD and um, another around between like 1000 and 1300 AD and then went into a sort of a, what they called the Little Ice Age in the 1750s, 1800 kind of. And then it's recovering uh, from that. But it's not as hot as it was in the Middle Ages. It's not as hot as it was in the Roman Warm Period. It's not as hot as it was in, in 5000 BC with the beginning of agriculture. It does seem that the Earth is cooling down, and you would expect these interglacials to last about twelve thousand years. So blasphemy, Ed. Blasphemy. I, I, I don't, you know, <laughs> to the extent that we're pumping CO two in the atmosphere, and that is causing the globe to warm. To the extent that's true, I'm not so sure it's true, but to the extent that's true, that might be good, because oh, uh, oh my you know, god, I, I can't believe what I'm hearing, Ed. The orbital mechanics may send us into another um, uh, ice age, and maybe the CO2 is the answer. So, maybe you know, you, human us. beings might live longer if the climate is a little. Well, I, 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 you know, Justin Trudeau's in the news today because he's getting divorced from his wife. And the, the, ridic the ridiculousness of the premier of Canada complaining about global warming. It, it is it, it almost as bad as the, the premier, uh, the prime minister of the United Kingdom complaining about global warming. Has anybody been to Canada or the United Kingdom? It's cold. It's rainy. It could use a few more degrees. <laughs> like the big winners of global warming, if it really were to happen, are Canada and Russia and to a certain extent, Sweden and Norway and the United Kingdom. Like they should be. I don't know. Screaming, I don't Yay! know. It could mean more wildfires, and we got all that smoke down here in New York and New Jersey, right, Steve? We couldn't breathe. Could have died. Good point. Could have died. That's right. It's ridiculous. Well, all I know is it's been a rather cool summer around here. I I gotta tell you, I think this <laughs> is the coolest summer. But June was probably the coolest summer month in my entire life. By yeah. Far. And even this last heat wave was three days over 90. I remember in the early yeah, age, 14 yeah. days straight over 93, of which were over 100. Right. Like Ed said, when I was a kid in Baltimore, it was constantly over 100 degrees. I remember in Omaha, Nebraska, it being over 100 degrees. So I think the whole thing's a bunch of junk. Daniel, the last time I was in England, which is a very, very long time ago, their water heaters were not tanks like ours. They were these Yonkers things that heat up immediately when you turn the water on? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, not, not as much as I probably should, no. Um, well, what is your water heater? I, I, I think we have a variety, to be honest. But, um, yeah, but... Um, I don't think you had water tanks like we had. Um, no, some, some people have water tanks, yeah. Because they're ridiculously wasteful. Yeah, no, but we, we, we've got them. Um, but... Um, I mean, I once lived in a in a property where um, we had a giant um, oil tank in the garden, and you know you'd pay for your for your heating for your house. And God would come along with a big hose connected to a truck and uh, fill up your oil. Yeah, um, that's my mom's house. Absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, but but that that's quite unusual in the UK. But you know, it does happen. All right, Laser, you're very quiet. What's on your yeah. mind politically that you can say without using uh, harsh words? I'm pretty fine for now. I've just been getting a physics lesson. Okay. But the, the, did you see uh, um, 
with the with the CO2, one of the things that's interesting is that they're constantly going, we're now up to 420 parts per million. This is terrifying. You know, a little while ago, it was before the uh, Industrial Revolution, it was, you know, whatever, 380 parts per million, and now it's 420. This is terrifying. What I don't tell you is that when you go in a crowded room, it can be 1,000 parts per million. It can be 2,000 parts per 2000, million. 2,000, yeah, 2,000. Yeah, uh, in a crowded room. You know, and, and um, there have been some studies where they show cognitive decline, in a sense. Uh, you know, that feeling when you're in a very crowded room and you're completely bored. Um, that's partly caused by the CO2 levels. But it's essentially not harmful to humans. And that's 1,000, 2,000 parts per million. We're worrying about 420 parts per so, million. So um, on behalf of Liberty Block, I want to make it widely known for the record. But that is why we meet on Zoom. We refuse to meet in one room together because we are fighting global yeah. warming. Fighting global warming. And, yeah. And, no. And I mean, we're we're trying to stop the spread. So I don't yeah. know how we got in global warming. But the other thing is like there is uh, sort of two metabolic pathways to change uh, carbon dioxide into uh, plants, and um, one of them is. Uh, very efficient, but requires a lot of carbon dioxide. And the other is sort of starvation mode. Um, and uh, of course, if, if the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere gets sort of mid 200s, which it approached a number of times, um, the plants simply cannot uh, live under those conditions and, and plant life would die, which means all life on Earth would die. Given that that hasn't happened, it does not seem to be a likely occurrence in the future, um, in the sense that the Earth is in some sort of, um, you know, relative equilibrium. But the interesting thing is if the, you know, if, the, if the CO2 gets into the five, 600 uh, parts per million range, or even a thousand parts per million range, these plants that we see around us will go out of starvation mode and go into normal mode. And in normal mode, it means they grow really well. And what that means is that for food production in the United States and, you know, other places that produce food in the world, um, the, the food production would naturally, uh, you know, go up by factor two, factor five, something like that as the plants uh, switch to this alternate metabolic process. So it's, it's really interesting that they would fight this and fight new humans when both together, uh, you know, uh, more CO2 would allow for more plants and more plants would allow for more food and more food would allow for more humans, but they want to cut back on the CO2. They want to cut back on farming. They want to cut back uh, essentially on us. You know, we are, as the t-shirt says, we are the carbon that they want to reduce. So it's, um, you know, it, 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 it really becomes you know, you got to get put the tinfoil hat on because it's it's it seems like it, it's it's either, you know, what did they call what did uh, Dr. Malone call the COVID hysteria, you know, mass formation psychosis. I, I think the global warming thing is 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 kind of mass formation psychosis uh, uh, combined with, um, you know, power lust by the globalists. Um, but, you know, when they want, when Bill Gates says the optimum uh, uh, population of the world is something like one billion, um, 
you know, we're part of the seven billion that he wants to get rid of. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, well, we're going to draw straws for this group here. So, yeah. All right. Think of that. M. They want to kill us all. Ed M, say something brilliant, will you? Climate change is a hoax. If it weren't a hoax, it would be a good thing. People move with their feet. People don't move to northern Canada. People retire to Florida and Arizona and warm weather places. I would, uh, yeah, I, I would think that it's, it's uh, you know, we would be better off under every circumstance if the globe was warmer. I fear that the globe is not, I mean, for the last 30 years, there's been some slight warming, but I, I fear that in general, uh, the earth is cooling and that will be a problem. I mean, that will be a problem. It was a problem from, you know, 70,000 years ago to 12,000 years ago. It was a real problem. And uh, wow. lots of species struggled to survive. And, you know, that, that wasn't that global cooling, the ice age was, is not caused by SUVs or air travel or, you know, gas stoves or the lack of them is caused by, you know, orbital mechanics and, and some sort of sort of ocean currents that people only, are only beginning to understand and none of which is modeled in these global climate models that they use to um, make these predictions. Mm -hmm. um, the, the Atlantic multi-decadal multi oscillation and the Pacific the decadal oscillation, the El Nino, La Nina thing. I mean, they kind of understand a little bit about the El Nino, La Nina uh, thing. They don't understand anything about the Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation. They just can measure it. And, uh, you know, what we're getting right now is, you know, these two things are, are helping to warm the, uh, you know, part of the Northern Hemisphere where all our measurements are taken. Uh, one of the things that Tony Heller, again, today's Tony Heller video where he points out is we used to have all of these stations that are measuring temperature and the number of stations that actually measure temperature has gone down by 50% just in the last 20 years. But they still report temperature from all of these stations. They're phantom stations. They don't actually measure temperature. So what are the temperatures that are reported from these stations that no longer exist? Well, they're reported from simulations that they run based on the other 50% of the data. And we know those simulations are wrong. So they're reporting these phantom temperatures from phantom stations based on simulations that we know are wrong, that are, that are biased towards warming. And, and we just, we look outside and we say, oh, the hottest, Hottest day ever is 94. It's like 94. It was 104 when I was a kid. What are you talking about? That's crazy. They, um, they also changed where they take the temperature, didn't they? Um, yeah, and a yeah, lot of these, them near you know, like, take it a little uh, bit lower, the temperature is higher. Yeah, uh, a, a lot so of these temperature measurements are, are, are not properly corrected for the urban heat island effect. I mean, it's said that the temperature in Los Angeles, I read this before, I don't, you know, again, I read a lot and don't remember. But the temperature in Los Angeles right now is about 12 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than it was 100 years ago. Because 100 years ago, there weren't any people there. It was all plant and orange trees, if there's anything. And, and now it's all pavement. If you've been to Los Angeles, it's all pavement. There's no plants at all in it. And so, yes, I believe it's 12 degrees warmer in Los Angeles right now. Now, okay, what have people done in Los Angeles? Well, they have air conditioning. 
they have pools and it's still one of the most desirable places to live on the entire planet as far as weather is concerned even though it's 12 degrees warmer now than it was 100 years ago I, you know and, and so who cares if it gets three more degrees warmer in the next 100 years it got 12 degrees warmer in the last 100 years and everybody's happy with it you know there are there are people who are crazy they're friends of mine who live in this communist dictatorship which is california and won't leave because of the weather and it's, it's and they're worried about three more degrees i mean it's ridiculous the whole thing is ridiculous ed i have three words for you my accent uh -oh. would be bad though how dare you how <laughs> dare you how dare you yeah it's 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 mass formation psychosis on, on, a, on a much larger scale than we've seen. All of these cult-ish, I mean, you know, the number of cults, I mean, we have the global warming cult, we were talking about the ozone cult, which is completely taken over. Um, we have the trans cult. Did you see that the spokesperson, the English language spokesperson for the Ukrainian army uh, is now some tranny that uh, American trans woman with, you know, fake tits and, and fake hair. And, and this, this individual <laughs> is the spokesman uh, for the Ukrainian army. And in, in, it's like, I, I, I want to go out Sounds and buy a Russian flag. I want to go out and buy a Russian flag. I mean, Jesus, if there's anything you can do to make me, who I, I, I really have been on, the Ukrainian side in this conflict, as you know, over the last year, I've done nothing but push the Ukrainian side on this. But the, if you want me to get singing the Russian national anthem, put some tranny out there as the spokesman, as the English language spokesman for the Ukrainians. And all I want is for Putin to crush the entire country. That will do it. I just can't believe it. And it's all a cult. It's, it's, all, it's all mass formation psychosis. Wait, so when in, you were in Ukraine, did you find them liberal on those issues? Uh, honestly, no. In Kiev, yes. So I suspect in Lviv and Odessa, sure. I guess Odessa is probably very, very far in that direction. It's a giant party city full of rich people and corrupt politicians. Out where I was, much less so. Out where I was, you can still tell dirty jokes and nobody gets upset. It's, it's a much um, older way of living for the most part. No, it's like it's like small town America to quote a song. Kind of, even though I was in a city of at the time almost two hundred thousand people, it's it was honestly very nice. It was a lovely time. It was well, a good relief. I'd, I'd come back here for a few weeks at a time and be very quickly reminded that I can no longer even just say the things I normally say with my colleagues. I mean, I was encouraged to hear that we're going to have peace talks about Ukraine, and they're going to be led by the Saudis. So I'm sure everything is going to come to a harmonious ending soon. Yeah, God bless that. To come back a second, I'll, I'll add something to something Ed P. touched upon, re-global warming, just my two cents. For years I've had this argument, and in addition to, yeah, the models are all BS, the whole thing is BS. The hubris of it is what's always stuck out to me. In 1883, a volcano blew up in the Western Pacific. Krakatoa blew up. Even according to the biggest climate change people, like a published uh, uh, piece of literature in Nature, which is a very major journal, that explosion cooled the entire planet off by multiple degrees Fahrenheit for anywhere between six months and several decades. 
and they suspect possibly cooled the entire world's oceans for a century. That was a volcano. That was one volcano. To think that anything that we could do could affect the climate as much as a single random act of nature is so far beyond arrogant that people should just have their mouths stapled shut. It's ridiculous. A single decent-sized earthquake could alter an ocean current and change the entire face of the Earth over the course of centuries or millennia. A good-sized volcano can change any climate far more than anything we can do. And if an asteroid plows into the middle of Kazakhstan tomorrow, we're all screwed anyway. The fact of the matter is we're dots. We're respects of dust. The planet's been around for a very long time. It survived much colder and much hotter and everything in between. And you know what? We're still here. Life has existed nonstop for, depending on who you want to believe, many, 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 many millions of years, if not two billion plus years. There's this concept called homeostasis, right, where you, where you insult a system, Earth being Earth Sun being a system, you insult it in some way, and it, and it pushes against it and changes the system, but it then comes back. There's this homeostasis, and and there with with the Earth, there are two sort of different climate um, equilibria. There's one that's like more or less cold, you know, colder than now. And then there's one that's warmer than now, the dinosaur warmy ones. And depending on the geography of the Earth and these, you know, the way the ocean currents work, we kind of balance between the the low one and the high one and then the low one. And, and we're, we're not in either. We're in the, the sort of low one. But we're in, in a, a kind of a warm, you know, interglacial. Um, and, I, you know, I think that you could, the Earth could bounce into a high one at some point, not due That's to CO2, good. but but due to something else. You know, it was, it was warm. It was wet. It was, you know, it was, Aris, it was not Arizona. It was the Amazon everywhere kind of thing. And then there were other, you know, it, it got cold, really cold, ice age cold, like Manhattan under you know, a mild glacier, which now that I think about it, wasn't so bad. But um, but we're in this kind of blip up, probably due to orbital mechanics. And, uh, you know, it's going to go back cold again, and it might someday go back warm again. I mean, the, I'm sure the, it will, and I'm sure none of the, us will the, be here to see it. The, the interesting theory about why, you know, why are there ice ages now it's very interesting. I, I, you know, if we talk about people talk about the sun being the cause of the weather, it's not, or the cause of climate. Of course, it's not at all. Anybody's been to San Francisco knows that you have one climate in San Francisco, you have another climate in Santa Clara, you have a third climate in Alameda County, you know, in in, uh, in Pleasanton, and, and then you have another climate in the Central Valley, and they're all completely different from one another. And and so obviously. Why is that, that you can drive 20 minutes and, and get a completely different climate? And the answer is, well, the geography drives the climate. And, I, and obviously that's true. Now, on the East Coast, it's all very, very continuous because there's no mountains and whatnot. But in the West Coast, it's, you, know, you can go from a desert to, you know, in Death Valley to, uh, you know, up the top of the mountain, the Big Bear, and down into the L.A. Valley and then San Diego, and they're all different climates. And the... The thing that caused the ice ages, at least the way I, I read it, is the um, is the movement of the continents to allow this uh, circumpolar current in the south around the South Pole. When when you when the, this 
this current, this ocean current around the South Pole, around Antarctica, really, you know, allowed the Earth to become a lot colder. And, uh, you know, if we ever disrupt that current, then the Earth potentially, you know, as the continents move, the Earth would be a lot warmer. Um, and people don't understand that these ocean currents, whether it's the Pacific Ocean Current, the Atlantic Ocean Current, whatnot, they really drive the climate in the world, uh, in these different places in the world. There's no such thing as global climate. It's all local climate. But you, you get the idea that the global, these ocean currents drive the climate. And when they're disrupted or when they change or when something happens, um, the, the climate can change. But the CO2 is not part of that. You know, it might make the world a little warmer here and there, but it's not going to really change the it's not going to change San Francisco into Arizona. You know, it's just it's literally impossible to do that because it's all driven by these ocean currents. Um, anyway, too much of lecture on climate today. Folks, it just annoys me. Want to start wrapping up with the stories we didn't get to, Mike? Oh, geez, I, I didn't have one um, in my pocket, so. How about the New Jersey Lieutenant Governor? What's that about? You know, I didn't really. Um, I, I know she passed away, and it was sudden. Died, died suddenly. Died suddenly. I, 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 I don't know what happened. I mean, it was. It's not like she was a, a twenty-something-year-old person. Where seventy-one, you know, I understand. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I don't know what happened. I, all I know about Sheila Oliver is um, she was your typical communist down in Trenton. Uh, <laughs> um, you know how she gets replaced may she rest in peace uh i would think that somebody would just get appointed by the governor i would assume um the lieutenant governor was a relatively new position a new position yeah only probably what ed maybe like the last i think she's the second one kim guardano yeah. i think is the first one yeah hmm. we, we haven't yeah, relatively new, and obviously, anytime the governor leaves the state, the LG is technically, uh, you know, they take over. So, but uh, yeah, I would assume that somebody would be appointed. Isn't that kind of anachronistic? Isn't what anachronistic? You can't be a governor because you're out of the state. That may I think have that, sense yeah. more communication. I mean, why? I forget what happened to bring it on. There was something that occurred. I have to go back and, and, and look. But yeah. I don't know. If we want our if we want our elected officials to be responsible to the people, one thing that they, they in order to be responsible, they need to be in the state. Yeah, but I mean so if you go to a Broadway show you have to have lieutenant governors in charge. It's... Well, it's if, if... If the vice president is not worth a warm bucket of spit, then the lieutenant governor has oh, got to be. I, I think here's what happened. I did a real quick search. So, um, you know, we had uh, Jimmy Greavy uh, to name one. So a couple of our governors resigned in the okay. early 2000s. That's what it was for. I, I think it's been established as well that the vice presidency is worth at least $30 million. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably a lot more. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that that was. So the, that's really the, the succession impetus. Yeah. Okay, laser. Yeah. 
What didn't we talk about? Uh, I think the piece that we didn't hit on is what we did touch upon last week, which is the debanking thing. And I said last week it's going to come here. It sort of has. Well, yes, it has. That uh, didn't take very long. Uh, with the whole Mercola thing from Chase. It's also interesting seeing it from Chase of all places because there have been banks that are a lot quicker to jump to some of these things. A handful of years ago, if you go back, I think it was it was either after the Orlando shooting or the Vegas shooting when a bunch of banks said that they're no longer going to carry any clients who are firearms manufacturers and so on. And there was also threats of banks not allowing people to make firearm purchases on certain credit cards and things like that. Chase was not the leader in that. So I'm not really sure what's going on with this story with Mercola, but it seems that Chase has just wiped them off the board, kind of like they did the Farage in the UK. And I'm I'm curious to see what comes of that because I'm sure there are a bunch of lawsuits that have already been filed, and hopefully something comes out at some point relatively soon. But I think that's something worth keeping an eye on. Well, I know that Chase is not Chase's first leftward swing. That I know. The it's not, but there are also banks that are much further left than Chase. Even Bank of America Diamond opens his mouth, you know, and kind of counters some of the narrative on a regular basis. You know, as as much as the banks are regulated, they are practically an arm of the government. I, to consider them a private entity for purposes of anti-discrimination laws, to me, I'm not sure I, I buy that anymore. I, I think that these banks are are they're so regulated by the government with what they can and cannot do that they might as well be the government, especially the way that they create money and the way they create loans and and would, and just what would you say? I would strongly agree, and I'll go one past that. And this is something that Alu had brought up several years back when the government bailed out all the airlines to the tunes of more money than exists on the whole continent of Africa. His contention was that. By definition, right now, if you're worth a million dollars, I give you $800,000 to do what you do. I have purchased a stake. So when the government. But it's not just money. It's, I mean. No, of course. It's regulation as well. They're so highly regulated in what they can and can't do. But even beyond that, overtly, if somebody has just given you an investment of X size, you are just not going to do anything that they don't want, and you are going to bend if they ask you to do something. It's the same reason politicians bend until they break. And with the amount of money that was poured into the banks over these last few years, especially, it's unfathomable how much money was poured in there. Billions and billions, infinite billions almost, probably trillions. Who knows? Nobody really knows. Uh, Of course, they're not private entities anymore. They have no low leg to stand on and even claiming to be private. One second, Ed, does that make it better or worse, discrimination-wise, if they're no longer private? The The government can't discriminate. So Period. it's better for the consumer in that funny sense. Theoretically. Yeah. I mean, the government's got to be open to all. That's interesting. So, so it's not a bad thing in that sense. That's my opinion. Well, it depends That's on your what government. Paying me for. What? It depends on your government, because plenty of governments will actually encourage the banks to um you know not allow accounts for people who are uh politically opposed. well that's the sh- the shadow government and you know again we're not entirely a dictatorship nowadays and it is possible uh, and i think uh, rishi sunak is said to be preparing a bill for the uk parliament to ban uh the sort of uh 
behavior that um, Coots has done to uh, Nigel Farage. And I think if, if that is done, especially from someone like Sunak, who is, who is just, just an awful, awful human being on every other issue, I think it might give um, American Republican politicians a, a little bit of testicular fortitude in, in doing the same in the United States. I'll point. just say it like this. I think when, when the day comes that you can just put up a shingle and, and hang up a sign and open your own bank and compete with other banks, maybe then they're private entities. But go, anyone who's interested in the subject, go look at what happened to Peter Schiff's bank in Puerto Rico. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the one in uh, like North Dakota, which was trying to be a 100% reserve right. bank. Right, 100% um, and they reserve bank, let... and they shut it down for being dangerous. Right. Nobody asked the question, dangerous to who? Yeah, exactly. Dangerous to, the dangerous to who? Yes. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, it, it, until you can just freely enter and, and leave that market, that is those, those are just not private entities to me. I mean, they're just arms of the government, in my opinion. Yeah, they're they're. They're arms of the Fed and they're part of the Fed and the Fed is part of the government, but it's also part of the banks. And the whole thing is, it's just a, you know, it, it's a mask. It's a shadow government. Yeah. I think Coates was um, uh, owned by another bank and that bank's 39% owned by the, the British state at the moment um, because of the bailouts. Yeah, well, in in the UK, in the you know in the United States, there is this sort of both institutional and sort of cultural antipathy towards the government owning uh, outright owning certain corporations. In other words, give you bailout money in exchange for stock. Now, I know it was done uh, some in the uh, in the two thousand eight um, financial crisis. But generally speaking, the United States doesn't give bailout money in exchange for equity. But in the United Kingdom, that if that's you know that's a, an accepted practice. And so, once the state becomes the owner of uh, of a part of the company, then it's an arm of the state. Period. And they should have no discrimination against. I mean, their... I contend if if that's a bullet we have to bite, their way is better because at least it's overt. At least it's overt. Yeah, exactly. Right. Ours, it's the shadow government owns our, you know, owns our banks and, you know, a number of companies. Well, and, uh, you know, that's that's sort of what that, you know, Biden versus Missouri case is about with respect to COVID and censorship, right? The, the shadow right. government telling these private companies how to do censorship. Yes. And that's the prevailing, you know, that's the pervasive problem that we have to deal with today. Did you guys see the story that the FBI was tasked with investigating who was using that secret Israeli program and they found out it was them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, that, if that's not a laugh line. <laughs> so, yeah, our government is literally chasing its own tail and, and finding its own tail, I guess. But I mean, look, I'm 50-50 on that story and I still haven't decided for myself which is worse. Did they all know about it and then pretend to jump through a ton of hoops? and talk behind closed doors and decide that it's better if they own up to it? Or did they literally have no idea that it was some other office down the hall and spent two years actually chasing themselves? 
And one side says they're schmucks, and the other side says, are they maybe too dumb to be schmucks? And I don't yeah. know which is better or worse. So if I'm going to uh, point out my thing from the, from the list, it's the, you know, did FDR bait the Japanese to attack Pearl Harbor to arouse the USA isolationists to enter World War II? It's an article in American Thinker by Jerome Corsi. He is famous for um, tracking down some of the Obama and uh, uh, John Kerry and, and uh, Biden shenanigans. And it, it's basically a book review of about uh, about some new information that came out for the Second World War. But it, it really was, um, it's, it's fine, and there is new information. Um, but of course, we all knew that uh, FDR baited the Japanese into the Second World War. But it wasn't so much FDR. And that's kind of what I wanted to, to talk to you. I wanted to talk not so much about this book, the McCollum Memorandum, uh, but another book by Diana West called American Betrayal. And the summary of that, and I'll give you the three-sentence summary, is that the American government was thoroughly penetrated by Soviet agents in the 1930s. And while FDR himself was not a communist, he surrounded himself with communists and Soviet agents. And so when the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact was in existence, uh, even though FDR himself personally, he wanted to help the British, and he did a few things like lead lease and, and uh, the old destroyers and stuff to help the British, actually coming in um, you know, on the British side uh, to, to fight the Nazis was, was never on the table because, again, the Soviets and the Nazis were allied at that point, and the Soviets essentially controlled all aspects of our government. Um, but when Barbarossa happened on July, June, June 22nd, 1941, and the Soviets were attacked and the Nazis over the next few weeks did you know really, really well against the Soviet armies, um, the Soviets panicked. And so they told all their agents to do whatever's necessary to get the United States in the war to help them. And that's what happened. Uh, less than a month later, I, I, the United States put this oil embargo on Japan. Japan doesn't have any oil. It was getting its oil from the South, uh, South Pacific and Indonesia. And the U.S. Uh, basically embargoed Japan from getting oil. They couldn't even run their economy. And basically, it was, it was telling Japan that they were going to be starved out. Um, and so, of course, Japan had to attack. I mean, there, of course, you know, and the the McCollum memorandum column goes through like, oh, there was this, you know, you know, there was this intercept and there was we knew about this. That, that, that none of that mattered. The thing that matters what was and it's in this Diana West book, American Betrayal. I think I think I would rather read the Diana West book or recommend the Diana West book to the listeners than the than the McCollum um, memorandum book because it, it basically goes through the why. And the whys were not FDR hated Hitler and liked Churchill and wanted to help. That was true, but that was irrelevant for, you know, two years. What was true is as soon as the Soviets got into trouble, the United States government turned en masse to help the Soviets. And, and, and the conclusion to the Diana West book, which is a very, very hard concluding for me, especially since I had six uncles fight in the Second World War, is that the American purpose, the American military goal in the Second World War was to protect Soviet communism. It wasn't to fight Hitler because Hitler was bad or fight Japanese because the Japanese were bad, both 
of course, true. But it, it was to do everything again to protect Soviet communism, because that's who ran our, ran our government in the 30s and 40s. And it wasn't until the quote unquote Red Scare that we started getting rid of these communists who infiltrated at every level of our government and started taking our government back. Um, and so that's why I recommend the Diana West book, American Betrayal. Okay, so uh, I don't want to get into a long week. discussion because it's too long a discussion and we're late. But I don't believe most Americans know this. And I for sure don't believe most Americans know that we could have stopped Pearl Harbor <coughs> or at least woken those poor 2,000, 3,000 people up. And I think, you know, we yelled that Bush knew about 9-11 and let it happen. And here we're saying we have some really strong evidence that FDR allowed Pearl Harbor to happen, and he's still, you know, the god of America. So I don't think most people know that. Laser, how much did you know about that? And I know you love history, but... Admittedly, not nearly this much. I did know that there was some evidence that he knew it. I was not aware of the extent of the oil embargo and just how desperate Japan was on that front. I, I did know that it's... There like, is a question as to whether he knew that... The Japanese fleet was coming to Pearl Harbor. There's a lot. The problem is the, the Intel business, and I was associated with it many years ago. It, it's really very, very um, hem, hemi and hoy. And so the, the, the question is, yes, they probably intercepted data about the Japanese fleet at sea, but, you know, they didn't know. Like it was uh, attacking Pearl Harbor is really audacious. I mean, it's fantastically audacious. It's not something they, they you could have had a, a transcript of Yamamoto saying we're going to attack Pearl Harbor and nobody would believe it anyway. They th would think it was a feint. So the, the, the question they go to Japan into attacking, but they thought, at least from what I can tell, they thought the attack would be the Philippines and and the South, you know, moving south to get the oil. They didn't quite imagine, even if there was data that said, oh, they're going to come to Pearl Harbor, I can just, I know these people, they, they just wouldn't believe it, even if it was right in front of them. So I think the idea that that FDR knew that Pearl Harbor is going to, that's probably not true. Um, hey, but the story it, that we're taught that the Japanese yeah. and cowardly, unprovoked attacked America right. is 99% BS. And that's a really big story. Yes, that's a really big story. So, and I don't think that's the way it's taught. So, Daniel, no. I was I, I wrote a paper on that subject when I was in college in the 1980s. And you didn't share it with us because you didn't. I don't know where it is right now, but I wrote a paper on that subject in the 1980s, and all I remember from it was my professor wrote back saying that I was engaging in conspiracy theory. <laughs> well, the interesting thing, just to point, I know we're way long. To point out a Diana West book. Um, and we, it, you know, this movie Oppenheimer is is out now about the development of uh, Manhattan Project and the atomic bomb. I haven't seen it. I'm going to see it. I'm required by law to see it. Uh, but you know, people talk about Klaus Fuchs, who was an atomic spy, and 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 uh, some of the other spies. And you know, to a certain extent, they're guilty, right? But in Diana West's book, she points out that nuclear material materials that are used to make nuclear weapons were purposely sent to the Soviets on the order of Harry Hopkins, uh, the Roosevelt's um, advisor and essentially deputy president during the war. And Harry Hopkins was a Soviet agent. And so he was sending nuclear materials 
uh, and she documents this in the book, during the war, you know, aluminum rods, all the things that we talk about that are being shipped to Iran that makes us worry about Iran, uh, you know, centrifuges, aluminum rods, that sort of thing, uh, that we worry about Iran now. All of those were being shipped to the Soviets in the 40s by Harry Hopkins, who was a Soviet agent and who was essentially deputy president. And so it's not just Klaus Fuchs who gave him the, you know, the idea of an implosion bomb or a gun, gun assembled bomb or any of the other. It's it's they're actually sending them in the materials that allowed them to so quickly uh, get the atomic bomb. And this is this is not some random physicist at at um, at Los Alamos, as bad as those guys were and as deserving of you know execution. I don't think many of them got executed. Uh, were um, this is the you know this is the president's right hand man arranging for these materials to go to the Soviet Union. That's why Diana West's book is so critical because it exposes all of this using the original sources and um, and interviews with people who are there at the time. And so I'm to sorry bring to it back so to our day, the Biden scandal is not really the biggest scandal in the United States history. Because this is just money and and much less. Uh, impact as far as I'm concerned than World War II. I, I don't, you know, I if I don't think you could conv convict FDR for, you know, bribery. Um, and and I don't even think you, you could convict him of, of treason. You know, I mean, he certainly was a terrible president, but he he was. Uh, and he certainly betrayed the country to the Soviets. Um, so maybe he was the traitor, but the Soviets weren't, you know, weren't technically our enemies at the time. I don't know. But Biden is selling out our country to the Chinese and the Chinese are definitely not our friends. So um, he, he definitely sh should be convicted on just under the bribery clause. Doesn't have to be treason or high crimes and misdemeanors. It's right there. Bribery. He took bribes from foreign enemies. He goes. And if McCarthy can't figure that out in like 30 more seconds. Then he should be thrown out and somebody put in uh, who can understand what bribery actually means. Okay, Daniel, it's past midnight for you. I know you're going to turn it to a pumpkin. <laughs> what would, yeah, you, like, um, what would the, you like to add? Um, the, the only thing I'll, I'll add, since we, we went all uh, World War II, I'll add one to that, which is uh, I, I recently read a, a quite an interesting article that seemed quite persuasive to me, which was again on um, US policy and Japan in World War II. And that was about um, this issue that people have debated for a very long time as to, to why the nuclear targets were selected, you know, um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, and the, the, the idea that, you know, Truman said that they were military targets, but it they weren't very convincing military targets in a lot of ways. And and that's always fueled the debate about whether it was morally right to, to bomb them. Um, and the, the the author of this article, um, which whose name I sadly can't remember, was stating that the reason that um, Nagasaki was selected was because it was a key base for the uh, Japanese atomic program. And what was going on was that the um, uh, Japanese had an atomic program that was further along than the West acknowledged and was divided between Korea and uh, mainland China, uh, mainland um, Japan. 
and uh, on the mainland they were quite advanced in the work they were doing in Nagasaki and that was the reason why it was selected as a um, target for the dropping of, of the US bomb um, which I thought was you know quite an interesting argument uh, there was some evidence put forward that supported it and uh, um, you know things like um, interceptions of German U-boats that were carrying depleted uranium to Japan um, and the claim that Japan had actually done two small nuclear tests at that stage of the war. Now obviously if, if the Japanese had developed a nuclear bomb then they could have uh, uh, bombed any uh, US uh, invasion fleet um, or any troops landing um, and you know wiped out a huge number in one go. So, um, it, I mean, that seems like a better argument for me than than just saying it was a, a military target, but not it didn't seem a particularly important military target otherwise. So, um, but, you know, it, it may be false, it may be conjecture, but it was one that struck me as very interesting. OK, uh, while you're here, Daniel, you can thank us for uh, bailing you guys out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Especially Ed P, who sent all his relatives there to help. So, see, seeing as seeing as we bankrupted ourselves saving the world, and uh, and then you came in late and took the glory and the superpower status, I won't be thanking you. You're welcome. <laughs> I didn't expect it. Ed Ham, you're the cleanup hitter as always. Well, let me just say preliminarily, if you're going to make Daniel feel guilty, I'm going to plug his his Substack, Jablandia. Uh, anyone listening to this should subscribe to, to Daniel's content. He gives great content on an almost daily basis. Um, so Cheers, don't don't uh, don't feel guilty. Feel proud of what you do and, and who you are. Um, I, I, thank you. I, I need about 10,000 people listening to immediately go on and subscribe paid. <laughs> so that, that will that'll be Daniel, handy. if you get 80,000 people listening, you are footing the bill for our first in-person conference. <laughs> I'm just telling you. So. Yeah. A couple, couple of quick hits before we go. Uh, one we, we touched on, but we didn't uh, directly address at the beginning of the show, and that was the corrupt plea bargain deal involving Hunter Biden. Uh, we didn't really mention it directly, and I think it, I'd be remiss. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention how corrupt that deal was and how they were basically trying to to backdoor a pardon to, to Hunter Biden without the president actually having to give him a pardon. That's basically what they were trying to do. Um, and the other story that we didn't that we didn't discuss, you know, talking about all these, you know, foreign government military programs and things like that. Uh, there was a story this week about China having a bio lab in in California. And uh, I think that, you know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, Rick and Casablanca being told that there was gambling going on as an establishment. I'm shocked. Exactly. But uh, I, I thought those two stories were worth at least mentioning before we sign off. OK, neither of them will disappear, so we can talk about them further as well. My small experience with judges, thank God, not as a lawyer. Is they don't like being screwed. Is that, is that your experience? Um, they don't like when people lie to them and try to put fast ones over them. 
they have God complexes, most of them. So if you challenge them as being God, then yes, they strike back with thunderbolts if they can. Um, what is that joke about upstairs? I always butcher the punchline. That's not God. It's it's not a judge. It's God thinking he's a judge. So yeah, they they have more than God complexes. And the fact that on my uh, father's license plate it said H C T J, who's old enough to remember what that means? H C T J. Laughing. Yeah, I've watched Laughing, but I don't remember. Here comes the judge. Oh, here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Oh yes, I I have some knowledge of that, but he should rest in peace. Okay, folks, with that, we'll sign off. We'll be back next week, regular time, hopefully with lots of fun people as well. Please send feedback to the Conservatarian Exchange at libertyblock.com. Have a good evening.